The Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of God touches earth in the humility and love of Christ. Here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily this day are offered in the praise of God for our community here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written, emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, service, and ministry in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence right here with us. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it as we are able. May we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread that we may live in us and we in him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. What a privilege and always to gather and worship, especially here at the heart of a university community, where week by week we have available to us the resources, not only of the entire Christian tradition, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, and Evangelical, but of the very globe and its great religious traditions, Hindu and Buddhist, Confucian, Muslim, Baha'i, and all. You think of Abraham Heschel walking in the evening along Riverside Drive upon Grant's tomb with Reinhold Niebuhr. And as the sun set on the Hudson, he said to his friend, different are the languages of prayer but the tears are all the same. Different are the languages of prayer, but the tears are all the same. Let us bring our different languages and common tears in contrition and compunction and confession before Almighty God. Let us pray. Beloved, hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading responsibly Psalm 23 along with the Antiphon. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will see you no evil, for thou art with me. Thy robe and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me, in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. 
Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Please rise as you are able for the reading of the gospel and the singing of the Gloria Patri. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John chapters 9 verses 1 through 11. Glory to you, O Lord. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. Let us draw wisdom from Scripture, insight from theology, and encouragement from experience this Lord's Day. Let us draw wisdom from Scripture. John 9 describes the healing of a man born blind and the communal controversy surrounding that healing. Like the rest of the Gospel, this passage reports two layers of healing, of blindness, of community, and of controversy. On one hand, the passage remembers, perhaps by the aid of a source or as part of a source, a moment in the ministry of Jesus, say 30 A.D., in which a man is given sight. On the other hand, the passage announces the spiritual unshackling of a hero in the community, say 90 AD, who bears witness to what Jesus has done for him, no matter the repercussions from others, from parents, from family, from community. The preacher in the Johannine community of the late first century is telling the story of the Son of Man, To do so, he celebrates the courageous witness to healing and the courageous endurance of expulsion of a man born blind. Here, he says, is what I mean by faith. The story he uses comes through untrackable oral and written traditions from 30 A.D. The story he tells comes from 90 A.D. Every character in the story has two roles— Jesus is both earthly rabbi and heavenly redeemer. The blind man is both historic patient and current hero. The family is both from Palestinian memory and diaspora synagogue. The Jews are both the contemporaries of Jesus and the nearby inhabitants of the synagogue, the Johannine community's former home. When Jesus gives sight, Christ gives freedom. When the blind one is cured, The congregation sees truth. When the man is cast out of his synagogue, the community of the beloved disciple recognizes their own most recent expulsion. When the Jews criticize Jesus, the synagogue is criticizing the church. When the healing story ends, the life of faith begins. His voice both addresses you and emanates from you. Not your voice, His is nonetheless your voice. John 9 illumines the central struggle of that community, their bitter spiritual itinerancy from the familiar confines of Christian Judaism out into the unknown wilderness of Jewish Christianity. History and the history of religions bear manifold witness to this kind of crisis in communal identity and the long, hard trail of travel from primary to secondary identity. In retrospect, as the community gathers itself in its new setting, think of the pilgrims in Boston, the Mormons in Utah, the story of the tearful trail itself becomes the heart of communal memory and imagination. What is here on earth in John 9 can also and readily be applied to the rest of the Gospel of John as well, to the wedding in Cana, to Nicodemus, to the woman at the well, to the healing on the water, to the feeding of the thousands, to the controversies with the Jews, to the raising of Lazarus, to the farewell discourse, to the trial and passion. All of these reflect the experience in dramatic interaction between the synagogue and John's church. This includes later the mysterious figure of the paraclete, the spirit, who functions as Jesus' eternal presence in the world, Jesus, that is, God striding upon the earth. In this way, the paraclete himself, the spirit, creates the two-level drama. Where the world is monofocal and can see only the historical level of Jesus in history or only the theological level of Jesus in the witness of the Christian community, the spirit The paraclete binds the two together. The word dwelling among us 
and beholding his glory are not past events only. They transpire in a two-level drama. They transpire both on the historical and contemporary levels or not at all. Their transpiration on both levels is itself the good news, an overture to the rapturous discoveries of freedom in disappointment, grace in dislocation, and love in departure, which is the marrow of the Christian Johannine gospel. Wisdom from Scripture. Let us draw insight from theology In a season of general national interest in wounds and healing, it is timely, serendipitous even, for us to hear about the healing of the man born blind in John 9, and more so to hear from our celebrated, honored Roman Catholic theological conversation partner for Lent 2017, Henry Nouwen of Blessed Memory, on today his most revered theme, that of the wounded healer. His book of that title, reminded another generation and can teach us all still about the interconnection between our own wounds and the healings of others. Now and explored in that monograph, The Wounded Healer, four different doors of entry into ministry, the suffering world, the suffering generation, human suffering in general, and the condition of the suffering minister. While Nouwen's work is sometimes criticized as theology light, its accessibility has provided many with a profound sense of the relational dimensions of gospel, philosophy, preaching, ministry, and therapy. His chief concern he identifies clearly, Nouwen. The task of Christian leaders is to bring out the best in everyone and to lead them forward to a more human community. The danger is that their skillful diagnostic eye will become more an eye for the distant and detailed analysis than the eye of a compassionate partner. And if priests and ministers think that more skill and training is the solution for the problem of Christian leadership, they may end up being more frustrated and disappointed than the leaders of the past. More training and structure are just as necessary as more bread for the journey. But just as bread given without love can bring war instead of peace, professionalism without compassion will turn forgiveness into a gimmick and the kingdom to to come into a blindfold. Compassion. Compassion, not analysis comes first. Compassion, suffering with. It is not the task of Christian leaders to go around nervously trying to redeem people, to save them at the last minute, to put them on the right track, for we are redeemed once and for all. Christian leaders are called to help others affirm this great news and to make visible in daily events the fact that behind the curtain of our painful symptoms, there is something to be seen. The face of God in whose image we are shaped. The manner by which compassion comes into life is, for now, utterly personal. While he was not a Lutheran, far from it, he would probably have agreed with Luther that the preaching of the gospel is one beggar telling another where they both may find bread. In fact, there is hardly a more personal calling than a calling to pastoral ministry. And what a privilege it is to enter and live in such a calling. A privilege to be able to be with people at the dawn of life, in the twilight of life, under the shadows of life, to hold murmuring infants to confirm squirming teenagers, to bless nervous, not to say clueless, grooms and brides, to wring hands and pray at the bedside when the outcomes are uncertain at best, to listen in tears to the pain of loss, 
divorce, failure, emptiness, and to stand silent beside and above the open grave. You can make a lot more money doing something else, and you can achieve a lot more influence of a certain sort doing something else, and you can have a lot more free time doing something else, and there are many worthy callings, many ways to keep faith. But there is nothing quite like the privilege, the joy, the hurt, the rigor, the demand, the privilege of pastoral ministry. And how hungry people are for it. There is nothing else like it in all of life. Now and The emptiness of the past and future can never be filled with words alone, but only with the presence of a human being. Perhaps Nouwen is best remembered for this phrase, the wounded healer, Nouwen, since it is their task to make visible the first vestiges of liberation for others, ministers must bind their own wounds carefully in anticipation of the moment when they will be needed. They are each called to be the wounded healer, the ones who must not only look after their own wounds, but at the same time be prepared to heal the wounds of others. They are both wounded ministers and healing ministers. Now when Nowen's balance between the the two goes off kilter and wounds eclipse health, we do have a problem. But the appellation is true enough when truly pursued. It is perhaps most apparent in loneliness. The ministry is lonely but only lonely in a way representative of all faithful life. In the last few years, the utter uniqueness of grief for each person, the individuality of the way we grieve, the very opposite of one-size-fits-all, has stood out for us. Your grief, though shared and made common in the community of faith, is nonetheless utterly idiosyncratic, your grief, your own most self in tears, your spiritual fingerprint, your religious voice, your manner of walking in walking the faith. All the cautions of Nouwen's book are worthy, but the capacity for hospitality, the power in hospitality that comes here into ministry is unmistakable. Nouwen. Hospitality makes anxious disciples into powerful witnesses, makes suspicious owners into generous givers, and makes closed-minded sectarians into recipients of new ideas and insights. Ministers are not doctors whose primary task is to take away pain. Rather, they deepen the pain to a level where it can be shared. When people come with their loneliness to ministers, they can only expect that their loneliness will be understood and felt so that they no longer have to run away from it, but can accept it as an expression of our shared and basic human condition. Insight from Theology. From experience, we may draw encouragement. Here is a memory written in 2006, drawn from 1953. That is, 65 years past. It is about the same distance from us in time as was the Gospel of John from the events in the life, death, and destiny of Jesus of Nazareth. The writer, my father, was soon to graduate from this school of theology. One balmy spring evening in the early 50s, I was returning to our apartment at 17 Yarmouth Street in Boston. As I walked across Huntington Avenue, I looked to my left and saw the lighted dome of the Christian Science Mother Church. 
I had seen it many times before. I had taken our youth fellowship there to visit and walk through the giant globe that is there. But this evening, as I made that familiar crossing, I was struck not by an auto, but by the reality that in just a few days I would receive my theological degree and become the pastor of the Brewerton Methodist Church. How could this be? What was I to do? I was only 24 years old. I had never dealt with death except in theory. I had never sat with a couple after the death of a child. I had never counseled a couple preparing for marriage except in a classroom setting. To my recollection, I had never spoken with a person who had no belief in God or saw any reason for one. I had never thought how a church budget was raised or more significantly how my salary would be paid. In a few days, I would be facing all these things and move. I recalled a conversation that occurred at the just past annual conference with a committee from the Brewerton Church. One of the saints said to me, young man, if you get a better offer, you had better take it. I don't know how we will be able to pay your salary. How about that? Now, I had grown up in the church, attended church school, taught church school. I'd been active in the youth fellowship, the local level and the conference level. Marcia and I had spent one summer as lifeguards at Camp Kesawasco. But now I was to be the pastor of a church in a community that I had only driven through. Of course, I'd graduated from a Methodist-related university and had the privilege of studying at one of the better theological schools for three years. But on that June evening, in the middle of that empty thoroughfare, I was totally lost. Then I heard, you don't think you're going to do all this by yourself, do you? Surely I will be with you. I heard that voice as clearly as I have heard anything, and it has remained with me for the past 35 years. It has taken the form of a loving, supportive wife, a devoted family, dedicated and caring lay people, inspired bishops, superintendents, and brother and sister clergy, group commanders, wing chaplains, and people of God, just like you. Encouragement from experience. Scripture, theology, experience, wisdom, insight, encouragement. The man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. Amen. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together in our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord.
Our prayer today comes from the Reverend Tom Gordon. In a world where many would seek to damage your creation, bring hatred to your people, show violence to your children, help us always to be grateful for the gifts of love and life, for the glimpses of transforming beauty and unending wonder. Take us now and use us well to combat evil and destruction wherever we find it. In a world driven by greed and a lust for power, where the material threatens to overwhelm the spiritual, where goodness seems too frail in the face of badness, help us not to give up on righteousness and truth, to believe that you can use well the gifts we offer, that you will call forth the gifts of your people again and again. In a world where people are broken, help us to trust the healing of your blessing and love. We give thanks for those who seek to face down injustice and champion human rights, who stand in the dark places with your light held high, who give of themselves for the sake of others. In a world where we struggle to understand pain and suffering, and most especially in the lives of those we love, we bring before you those for whom we weep, those we embrace in our hearts, those to whom we reach out in the yearnings of our prayers. In a world where we can feel so insignificant and helpless, help us to know you have a place for us. Lift our spirits when we don't feel good enough. Fit us into your plan in amazing ways. In a world where so much is focused on the here and now, help us to remain bound with those who have gone before us, to rejoice in our fellowship in the one kingdom of your love, to give thanks that from time to time we have a glimpse of eternity. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We welcome you again to the Nave of Marsh Chapel, whether you are seated here with us at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, listening via radio or internet broadcast, or listening later to the podcast, please know that you are a valued member of our community. For those of you who are seated here in the pews, we ask that you write your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew. Please pass that pad to the person sitting next to you so that they can get to know your name and so that we can also get to know your names. We have a few announcements for the chapel community this week. This Wednesday, March 29th, here at 2 p.m., the Marsh Chapel community, the Boston University community, and the community of the School of Theology will gather to celebrate the life and faith of Richard Nesmith, Marsh Chapter member, 
former dean of the School of Theology from 1977 to 1988, and ad interim dean of Marsh Chapel from 1977 to 1978. We hold his wife Patty and his family and friends in our prayers this week. We'd like to bring your attention to a series of conversations entitled Anxieties of the Political Moment, which will begin on April 6th and occur each Thursday at noon for the remainder of the month of April here in the Thurman Room located downstairs. The conversations will be facilitated by chaplains from Marsh Chapel, as well as counselors from the Danielson Institute. The topic of the first conversation on April 6th will be challenges of relating across political divides, family, friends, coworkers, and more. Please RSVP to Heidi Freimanis Courts at hrf.bu.edu to register. Easter is right around the corner. We remind our congregation that there will be three services held on Easter morning at 7.30 a.m., 9 a.m., and 11 a.m. If you would like to contribute to the aesthetics of that service, Easter lilies will be for sale at $30 apiece. Order forms can be found in the bulletin, or you may contact Heidi Freemana's Courts in the main office, hrf at bu.edu or 617-353-353. 3560. Orders must be placed by Sunday, April 10th. For all of their news and announcements, we encourage you to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as our website, bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, let us remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
Creator of the universe, who grounds our being and fills our existence with meaning, use our charitable gifts for your purposes for our community so that we can continue to be a heart for the heart of the city and a service in the service of the city. Through Christ, the one who exemplified heart and service as an existence. Amen. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, support us all the day long of this troublous life till the shadows lengthen 
and the evening comes, and the busy world is hushed, the fever of life is over, and our work is done, then in thy mercy grant us a safe rest, a happy lodging, and peace at the last, through Christ our Lord.